0: Welcome to Joe's Weather World, your only weather podcast dedicated to Kansas City. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Joe's Weather World. I'm Fox 4 meteorologist Joe Lauria, and today we are going to talk about a story or a situation or a scenario that is going to become increasingly an issue as we head towards the late spring and summertime months Here in the Kansas City area, and that is in particular air quality. And we talk about this quite often during the newscast when there is bad air quality and good air quality and Skycast and Ozone and all this other stuff related to the air that we breathe here in Kansas City. And to help us out with that, we've got a couple of guests here uh, that are going to talk a little bit more fluently, if you will. about uh, air quality and stuff like that. Uh, We're going to bring in the folks from MARC, the Mid-America Regional Council. And with us for today are two people, one by the name of Karen Clausen. Karen, welcome aboard.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: And uh, Doug is joining her, Doug uh, Norsby. And Doug, what is your official title?
2: I'm an air quality planner. An air quality planner. What does an air quality planner do? We do uh, a number of different things. I'm involved heavily with education and outreach of our program, trying to share information about how Ozone is created and ways that people can improve the air quality by changing their behaviors a little bit. Uh, we also uh, put out messages, some of them are on uh, your station, mm-hmm. but we have... we have. Um, Different spots that we put on television and radio, might see some bus ads, just reminding people to take care of our air and do some of those those things that we like them to do for air quality.
0: Okay, Karen, your role within Mark and air quality and this whole thing is what?
1: Well, I am the air quality program manager. Okay. So, um, kind of like Doug, um, you know, we're working to uh, monitor and improve um, air quality throughout the region. And uh, we do a lot of different things at Mark, but I think this is one of our most important things that we do because it really does impact public health. Um, Personally, I do a lot of um, tracking of, you know, uh, federal legislation and rulemaking and things going on at the state level. Um, And we work really hard across our region, which is quite a big region, which is uh, nine counties, 119 cities, two states to, um, you know, bring different stakeholders together to discuss this issue and figure out what the best policies are moving forward.
0: And is that in general, so we should probably start with a broad stroke here. Is that in general the role of Mark, or what is the role of Mark?
1: Well, when we characterize what Mark is, um, you know, officially we're a council of governments, but we are kind of an association of city and county governments. So um, we have membership. Uh, cities and counties are members of MARC, and we have a board of directors, and we come together and we Discuss um, and plan policy around a variety of different issues. So, not just environmental issues like air quality, but we tackle transportation, um, early learning, and Head Start, older adult services. Um, We coordinate all the 911 systems across the region. Um, We handle emergency services and a variety of community development. Um, initiatives are under our belt too, so we do we do a lot in the region. A
0: lot of the region that many people may not realize or is under the umbrella, if you will, I guess.
1: Right, of right. Mark, right, yeah.
0: All right, so let's go ahead and, and, and spin this around mm-hmm. to the air quality situation, and uh, in particular, answering the question right off the bat: How overall? And we'll have Doug you answer this one, I guess. Uh, how overall do you think our air quality is? here in Kansas City, perhaps compared to other cities of roughly the same size.
2: Overall, we're, we're doing pretty good. There, we are on the borderline. Of, and this is what I've heard for yeah. many, many
0: years. We, we have that we tiptoed have a long time.
2: Right? Yeah, We've tiptoed mm-hmm. on it for a long time. The, the standard for air quality health uh, set by the EPA has been changed a few times, and so it's been lowered, making it a little more challenging to hit. As far as cities of our size, we do a fair job, but we have a lot of, uh, you know, air pollution isn't uh, isn't just developed in situ, so we've got stuff that's coming from, you know, down south in Oklahoma, the refining process uh, down in uh, Texas, that. it all comes up our way, and then we have local production, so there's the cars and stuff from... Uh, commuting, there's industrial stuff, there's electrical generation units, that kind of thing. And
0: Kansas City being a city that loves its commuting and is so spread out and there are so many roads, uh, how much does the car aspect
2: of this play into things? More than half of the emissions that are generated contributing to ozone come from transportation. Okay. Yeah, so it's a big one.
0: And in an idealized world, Karen, I'm assuming that if we had this fabulous mass transit situation with trains and and all this stuff all over the place to get people from point A to point B, maybe we would be in better shape. But that's not really the case, is it?
1: Right. I mean, an expanded transportation system, including transit, um, would, and other forms of transportation, frankly, that have... Uh, lower emissions would be great for the Kansas City region and so in other parts of mark we're working on that issue so.
0: and how is that process coming along i mean I, I would imagine especially now in this day and age where so much land is being been taken up by houses or businesses or rights of way and stuff like that it's not as if you could just say you know what we need to put a train down i35 or something down i35 to link it to johnson it can't be that simple
1: is it? Right I mean so how we how we use our land Mm -hmm. in the Kansas City region is very much tied to transportation and so you can't address transportation without looking at land use policy Um, and you know how's it going in the Kansas City region you know I think we're making pretty good solid incremental steps towards you know making it easier for people to get around um, allowing for new modes of transportation so that people have options about how they commute um, so if they wanted to take a, you know, a form of transportation that is better for the environment, they could. We're working on that. Um, and we have a great set of uh, transit agencies in the region who are working really, really hard to provide excellent solutions for Kansas City. And so we're moving in the right direction, I think.
0: And as you look forward to where we may be going and with us butting up against these requirements that are set by the EPA that you were referring to earlier, and I've heard about this off and on now for quite a few years. Let's kind of dive into my immediate connection with you guys, and that would be the Skycast program. And uh, the value of that, not only to our viewers, uh, but to Kansas City as a whole. Perhaps Doug, you want to explain
2: simply what the Skycast program is. Absolutely. The the Skycast is the forecast for incoming ozone pollution in the area, so we have contracted with some external meteorologists who just focus specifically on that pollution development. So they're looking at what they expect to come in from outside the region, as well as what they expect to be contributed based on meteorological conditions here in the Kansas City area. Ozone is the criteria pollutant that the EPA has designated. Uh, As far as a concern to the Kansas City area, there's also particulate matter which has come a little bit more We've seen a little bit more of that this April as some of the Flint Hills burning goes on Mm -hmm.
0: But yesterday last night as a matter of fact case in point when the Sun was setting even talked about this on the news It just disappeared in the horizon not because it went below the horizon But because it went behind a huge veil of smoke and when I looked at the satellite pictures Sure enough, you could see the smoke coming up from Oklahoma and the Flint Hills, as well as other parts of eastern Kansas. Get see all those prescribed burns, mm-hmm. that smoke yes. coming right up into Kansas City. Man.
2: Yes, and there there are some efforts underway to try to kind of control uh, the impact of that smoke. The Kansas Department of Health and Environment has a, a website called KC. Uh, Is it KC Fire? No. KS Fire, Kansas Fire, ksfire.org. And that gives the burning conditions that can be expected in all the different counties. And it color codes whether or not it would be uh, preferable mm-hmm. to try to burn during those periods or if that smoke might impact down downstream towns. So they're working with the ranching community to try to minimize the impact of that smoke. But it does sometimes come our way. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll see a little... A little trail a little of, that. of that, yeah. Fortunately, when we're looking at forecasts and we're looking at identifying the quality of a day, we're averaging over a number of hours. And so if you have a little, a little plume that comes through, it'll average out, and it'll, it'll be okay as far as the uh, forecast on that day or the way that uh, it kind of appears in more of a chronic way.
0: I would think the vast majority of our listeners hear the word ozone. They think to themselves, oh, wait, no, wait, I don't understand. Ozone is good. Uh, It's good, but it's good when it's way up in the upper reaches of the atmosphere. It's not good when it's down here on the ground. Can you explain maybe why it's not so good when it's down here at the ground? and What causes ozone to build up
2: here on the ground? Yeah, ozone on the ground, and it's referred to as ground-level ozone, is an, an oxidizer. So when a person breathes it in, it actually kind of attacks the lung tissue, and um, it's, it's like having a sunburn kind of inside your lungs. So Not, not good. Not good. Not good. Uh, it's created by precursors. A lot of pollutants are directly emitted, so there's just kind of a one-step process. You burn something, and particulate goes up, for example. With ozone, it's a combination of a couple different things that interact over time. So you have a NOx component, which is created by combustion. So burning fuels, uh, whether it's in a car or electrical generation or the the fires that are going on. And then you have VOCs, volatile organic compounds, which are kind of the, if you want to think of when you fill up your gas tank, the the ripple of waves uh, that kind of come out of that. You see it with solvents, uh, paint thinner, acetone for your fingernail removal, fingernail polish removal, and that kind of thing. So that evaporative component mixes with the NOx in sunlight and it starts to interact and ozone is created, particularly when it's it's hot, so you have more evaporation, when it's dry, uh, so that there's no interaction with water molecules that are kind of present in the air, and when it's real still. So the wind will kind of blow that stuff around, but when it's still, it has a chance to just kind of sit there and bake, and that's when we see some ozone spikes.
0: But I notice uh, sometimes as we get into those rougher days, when their air may be bordering on unhealthy, or you have an orange alert, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, the reference, right? Orange alerts mm-hmm. are a trigger for what, Karen?
1: Well, so orange alerts um, are—we don't see too many of right. them. Right,
0: so they'll
1: ever, be right. one to five? Probably? Maybe, yeah, maybe something like that. I, I think last year, how many did we, did we have think, on I the orange? I think we had
2: 12. Oh, maybe did we, Yeah, sometimes sometimes it can get up around a dozen uh-huh. is kind of what we would sometimes expect as normal, which is not good. Yeah. Um, but we've had a number of years where we've had, recently, where we've had really good seasons, where we had one season where there were four I think one season we had Maybe two. That's, see, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I want to yeah.
0: circle so, back to that, but so let's it, go as a
2: what. Tr- so, when an orange
0: alert is triggered,
1: mm-hmm. what do you do? What do right? you do? Right? Yeah. So, when an orange alert is triggered, um, we're advising people to limit their outdoor exposure, particularly unusually sensitive groups of people. So, and do these people
0: know? that they're sensitive to this particular situation not necessarily See, I that's mean, a because, trick right
1: I mean you may be a child you have no idea what's going on so it's um, you know when we do our public education and outreach we try to hit a broad audience so that uh, we're making sure older adults are getting the information and the parents of young children are getting information but um, we're asking people to uh, limit cer- certain activities that they're doing um, whether it's not topping off your, your gas at the gas station Um, refueling after uh, the sun goes down, preferably um, limiting any sort of lawn and garden uh, tools that you might be operating, that type of thing. But um, when you start getting into ozone alerts that are orange, we do, we do ask people to kind of limit their, their outdoor exposure in general.
0: Because it, it can be harmful. Right.
1: It can be harmful. And, you know, it's not just um, unusually sensitive groups, but it can then start really impacting the everyday person who doesn't have. And there's orange, and then
0: there's next level, mm-hmm. right? And those next level was a purple, I think, red. red okay, mm-hmm. those next level scenarios are pretty rare, right?
1: We've had or, a, we've had a few. Um, they, I mean, they are rare. We want them to be rare. Right? but We had a few last season. We, we
2: sometimes have hours. That where oh, yeah. we teeter we'll, over. Where we'll yeah. have red hours. Okay. That Once they average out, the day is an orange. We, the last forecasted red day was in 2007. So the last forecasted day has been a while. Last year, we had a forecasted orange alert day, and it did come back a red. So we did have one day last year, and it's the first time that's happened really? since 2007. And
0: is the city a for lack of a better phrase, is... is is this area allowed a certain amount of that or at some point is that not good in terms of planning and stuff like that? It's,
2: it's not good. The, uh, the way that the EPA evaluates how well you're performing is they look at the fourth highest reading off of a monitor from within a region. Only one monitor needs to trip. And so, at any individual monitor, you pull that fourth reading and then you average that over that year and the previous two years, so there's a three-year average. And that number has to be uh, at the standard that the EPA has set. So when we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, the number of ozone alert days, those earlier years, the last couple of years, when we've had really good ozone seasons, we get to use some of that, that to up, Yes, to offset what we're where we're at now. Now, if we don't, as a region, if we don't take care of things, and we continue to have a lot of production, we're going to have multiple years that contain a fair number of, of orange. Ozone alerts, And when that happens, then we're in trouble. Okay, so
0: uh, circle back to the weather aspect of this. Mm-hmm. And my guess would be that you folks would probably be a fan of wind, right? Because that would, mm-hmm. in general, yes. knock down levels uh, as an average. Mm-hmm. What I find sometimes interesting is that mm-hmm. people um, who live north of Kansas, with our prevailing winds typically, southwest to northeast or south to north. Uh, for those who live north of Kansas City, they may think, oh, well, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't affect us whatsoever. Well, there's an issue there, right? Because what we're generating here has got to go somewhere. That's right. And if the prevailing wind is southwest to northeast, uh, what I've noticed over the years when looking at some of the uh, your information is that you could see how that pollution, well, it may start in, Wyandotte County or something like that but it's going somewhere
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: let's just say it's going up I-35.
2: That's that's very correct. I mean that's the way it kind of goes. We have uh, because there are the two precursors, there's the two components there are different limiting factors for how that ozone is going to combine so early on it may be that there isn't enough VOC to maximize everything and then you come across the downtown area and now you have a kind of a, a slug, a plume of VOC, and now all that previous NOx that hasn't reacted can start reacting. So it is something that occurs over distance and time, and as you said, a lot of this starts to develop and form uh, during the middle of the day or late afternoon, where it's really starting to kind of bake, and it's still, and then finally, you know, everybody kind of takes a little bit of a Breath at the end of a hot summer day is we have a little bit of a light wind, a light variable wind that starts to push things. Well, it's that southwest wind. And so the pollution that's generated does move up toward the southwest or the southeast. So if you the, live up
0: in Liberty or Kearney yes, St. Joe or other places up north of Kansas City especially, um, this is an issue for, for them as well as us here this would be the best way yeah yeah saying it all right so uh an orange alert is issued and we'll talk about it on the news all the TV stations are very typically proactive with this stuff from a organizational standpoint Karen what do you want people to do orange alert here is what we would love for you to do right
1: um well you know, everyday people can take everyday actions to help us um, reduce our ozone precursor emissions, um, you know, try to do, um, you know, be more efficient with how you travel. So one of the things that you can do that might be easy um, is to, um, you know, try something called trip chaining. So instead of driving back and forth all over the region to run your errands, maybe um, you can plan uh you know, all your errands to be sort of in one location or locations that are in close proximity to each other, so you're not um, putting more basically miles on your car than you need to. That's one thing you can do. Um, walking and biking instead of driving is is I think really helpful. Um, if you're big into gardening and things like that, this is not necessarily something that's going to impact on an ozone alert day, but over time. Um, how you how you garden and the type of tools that you use and the type of plants that you use um, like more native landscaping for instance or um, planting more trees can be helpful um, over time Um, Doug what else am I forgetting here we've got
2: well I think you're doing a great job Uh, I -hmm. guess uh, one thing to think about too is not just what you should do but what you should put off doing Yes. And so, as Karen mentioned, with fueling your tank uh, after 7 o'clock mm-hmm. uh, or postponing it till a day when it's going to be a yellow day or a green day, wait to mow the lawn uh, so you're not using a two-stroke engine in you know, at the time when that's going to produce Do, more emissions.
0: Yeah. Um, circling back to that, by the way, we're talking to Karen and Doug from the Mid-America Regional Council, and we're talking about Skycast and ozone and pollution here in Kansas City. Do... Lawnmowers um, are they any worse than a car in terms of their efficiency and what they're, for lack of a better phrase, belching out as pollutants? Um, lawnmowers are very small, but by the same token, do they do they contribute a lot more than what people may think?
2: They do, they do, and there has been some work done. Again, EPA regulation improving the emissions of small engines, but they still are a, a larger contrib- contributor for their size, and it has to do with the type of engine that they are. Just a two-stroke engine um, has an open crankcase, and so it it produces more uh, emissions than than you would have with, a, say, a, a car that has a catalytic converter. The other thing is that a lot of that equipment. Um, Instead of running straight on, you know, on, on fuel and then the oil is separate, you'll have an oil fuel mix that you will burn. It can be chainsaws, it can be, uh, it, you know, you know, hedge trimmers might might have that kind of a uh, a motor on it. So yes, even though they're small, and even though it might seem like you don't operate them for very long, pound for pound, they're they're pretty they heavy do. polluters. Yeah. So Karen and I were talking earlier before we started this podcast, and
0: you know, sometimes I question, and my mind can be somewhat cynical sometimes, um, about, we talk about these orange sky casts, and we talk about trying to get folks to alter their lives in some way, maybe getting it out of the routine just a little bit. How do you feel that overall... The program is gone. Do you feel like it's having an impact? Do you feel like it's helping, maybe? Are people responding to this type of stuff?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. This is something that um, really you know marks the success or the failure right. of our program. So right. we, we look very carefully at this. Every year we do uh, a public education awareness survey to really understand people's understanding about ozone as an issue um, where they get their information from, are they aware of the different things that they can do, and are they actually doing these things? So um, this behavior change aspect is really important to us, and um, I think over time we've seen a greater understanding of the issue and a greater understanding of what people can do. Um, there are There's a lot of willingness, I think, to do things like not topping off your car and avoiding filling um your your car with gas um on you know in the middle of a hot day and maybe postponing that a little bit but some of the 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 bigger asks that we would like people to think about like changing their mode of transportation is a little more difficult um and there's a lot of variables at play with that of course um you know some being you know the economy or the availability of different transportation in different areas of the region um but we think people are moving in the right direction and i think particularly right now as you know the conversation around climate change is is more elevated than it has ever been. People are really starting to think about you know it's not it's air quality is really important for public health, but there's all these other benefits to it as well. Uh, climate sta- stability is really important. People are thinking about you know the you know the the money saving uh, you know part of it um, and. So we are seeing a little bit of movement, but we still have, we still have a lot of work to do. So.
0: so what happens, and we'll probably have to wrap this up here in a couple of minutes, what happens if we do get in trouble with the EPA? <laughs> what happens? What can the EPA, what, what can l- happen?
1: A lot. It, it, you know, so if, um, if we do violate the current uh, standards for ozone that EPA set, sets, um, it does trigger this whole long process of things that um, that the states and mid America Regional Council have to engage in. So the states would be responsible for putting together a state implementation plan to help us get back into attainment or compliance with that EPA standard. And there's a timeline attached to it. It's usually three years or more that we have to um, get back to, to better air quality shape, if you will. Um, and then it, it also triggers some um, um, things that we have to do in, on the the transportation side of things um, at MARC. So we have to make sure that all of the transportation plans that we have in the region fall within allowable um, sort of air quality budgets, if you will, um, and, you know, we're, we're putting in place um, Projects that that help reduce our our ozone precursor emissions, so it's very serious We do not want to get to this point, and so this is why we work really hard at um, providing information to people across the region of all different ages and um, Helping people learn about what's going on and
0: Doug just how close are we to? Teetering into trouble and
2: we have a monitor right now that at the end of the season last year was right at the the level before it would trip over. So, uh, 71 parts per billion would be a violation, and we have one monitor that was at 70.
0: Okay. So, we're close. So, if for example, this spring, summer, whatever, we have enough wind, or we have whatever <laughs> occur, and we don't lean up into that 70 to 71 Parts per billion, did you say? Yeah. Okay. Um, then obviously that's a good thing. And does that help us out to knock down the average for next year in case? Something
2: yes. Happens? Yes, it does. And, and a lot of what we see is meteorologically driven. Right. So we'll, we'll have droughts. Drought periods tend to have worse seasons for ozone. Interesting. Yes. Um, so if, you know, so
0: despite the fact that last year was wet up until about May or through late April, then it seemed like the spigot got turned off and then we teetered right into drought by July, uh, something even that short term, May, June, July, where things just shut off, can be a player in ozone production,
2: right? They can. And it, again, it's we're looking at the fourth highest ozone day on a monitor. So when we get into a period of drought where those conditions are really favorable for ozone development, it's that much more important that we try to do what we can as a region to keep our contributions down because there's going to be conditions that are just ripe for bringing stuff in that we'll end end up adding to.
0: See, I love that. I just learned something. I didn't realize how much... Drought plays a role. So, I said, I'm going to geek out on you. Why (laughs) is that? Why does drought, is it because we're losing the greenery? Um,
2: There's, well, there's a couple things. So, when you have wetter conditions, you have more clouds. Right. More more clouds so that the sunlight can't come down and start cooking things. You also have more turbulence. So, there's just more um, vertical mixing. Yeah, vertical mixing. And, um, yeah, you also have fewer evaporative emissions, so that VOC component is less predominant. So all of those wildfires make a big difference. When you get a wildfire going, that's another producer of NOx, which is the other precursor. So some of those wildfires that we had, uh, whether California and we had some up in the Northwest, some of that was actually coming down. Right, because I remember
0: we were, were showing these maps on TV with these smoke, and you can tell in the sky and the sunsets and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So even something that could be what appears to be up in the atmosphere, it plays a role in what's happening
2: down here on the ground as well? It can. Again, it has to do with some of the mixing over time and in place. Uh, Now, since... You're geeking out. I'll go ahead and geek out a little with you. I love geeking out.
0: I'm uh, <laughs> part of Joe's weather world. you got to geek out
2: as much as you want. <laughs> there was uh, some work that the EPA was doing on a uh, uh, like a it's a cross uh, across geographic boundaries uh, transportation of ozone, and so they were looking at where source ozone came from and how far downstream it would go, in whether it would affect. A downstream communities actual ozone results and there was a study that they had done at that time that showed uh, pollution mm-hmm. ozone pollution produced here in Kansas City was actually affecting uh, a reading of a town in Michigan so really yes so they must be thrilled with us Yes. Yeah. Yeah. so the, the uh, there's been a, quite a bit of work and uh, ozone in particular is kind of unusual in that a lot of the other pollutants tend not to spread as much, and and ozone is really this regional pollutant.
0: So as we wrap this up then, would it be fair to say that what happens in Oklahoma City and Dallas and maybe Little Rock to a certain extent affects us? If we're affecting Michigan, wouldn't it go to reason that Dallas and Austin and Oklahoma City and Tulsa could affect us?
2: Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. We'll have the, the stuff that's coming from kind of out of state. And we'll also have uh, meteorological conditions that we can't really control right. that much. But we're still responsible for keeping mm-hmm. the ozone level down in our area. And so those behaviors that Karen was talking about are, are that much more important. And when mm-hmm. we were doing our, our survey, we, we actually looked at two different questions. Things that people are doing because of an ozone light, alert day and things that they're doing just because it's, they feel like it's the right thing to do. And there are people who respond to ozone alert days. But taking that and making that a natural, routine behavior is It's a challenge, it, it's, it's a challenge but once it's there, it's a learned behavior. And even if on a particular day you didn't know that it was uh, an orange day, you'll be doing those behaviors anyway. So it's, it is. It's a challenge. Um, but you know, I think our region
0: is up for it. All right, Karen? Doug, thanks so much for coming on by today being part of Joe's Weather World as we visited with the folks from Mark about Orange Skycast and Skycast in general. Uh, thank you. I, I learned something. The, the drought thing I had no idea about. And uh, we wish uh, we wish good air quality upon all of us. I think here in Kansas City it'll be another challenging year. I'm sure. I guess that's just the way it goes. Guys, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you again so much. And thank you so much for listening to Joe's Weather World. Uh, We always have fun with these podcasts and we'll have another one coming up in just about another week or 10 days. Thanks so much.